we're going to be in First uh, Samuel. We'll be looking at the twelfth chapter. Um, we're going to be reading primarily, uh, reading um, from verse uh, twenty to twenty-five. If you have your Bible with you, please go ahead and start turning. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, grab one of these black hardback pew Bibles and go ahead and turn with us. And let me offer, as we always do, that if you do not have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, please grab one of these black hardback pew Bibles and take it with you this morning as a gift from us. We have been in, in, this, in, this, in 1 Samuel um, reading through as we, as we looked um, over the last couple of weeks, we have seen um, Saul be raised to the kingship. And uh, we saw last week, we saw the confirmation of Saul's kingship. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that we looked at is, is we saw that how the confirmation of Saul's kingship and the way that his kingship is confirmed is a, is a, is a foreshadowing of the confirmation of Christ's lordship. That it was, it was Saul who saved the people. It's Jesus who saves us. That Saul's um, kingship was not, not declared, not because um, of this victory over the Lord's enemy, but was confirmed by that victory, just as Christ's kingship is confirmed in his victory over sin and death. We saw how his kingship was confirmed in sacrifice. Of course, Christ offering the perfect sacrifice. But now we, we come in chapter 12, we come, this is, it may be in your Bible, it may actually be labeled as Samuel's final public speech. Samuel's final public speech. Now, you might expect reading something that says Samuel's final public speech that we're never going to hear from Samuel again um, in 1 Samuel, but that's not true. Um, really what this is, is this is Samuel's final speech on the subject of the kingship. This is Samuel's final speech on the subject of the king. You know, Samuel had warned previously, warned the people about asking for a king. And uh, so this is, this is Samuel's final speech on the subject. And, and that is what most of chapter 12 is. And by the time we get uh, to the end, to where we are, um, uh, uh, well, actually, I know it says 20. We're actually going to start with verse 19. So will you stand with me as we read together? We're going to read in on verse 19 to give you a little bit more context. They, meaning the people, pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. And Samuel replied, do not be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, do not turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make of you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we open your word today, I pray that you would 
would show us what you would have us to see here this morning. God, I pray that, that, we, would, that we would come to understand that, that, that when we fail, when we sin against you, that the answer is not to, to run away from you, but that the answer is to run back towards you. That, that when, we, when we find ourselves in, in trouble and in, in places where, where we would rather not be, it's not that we should hide from you, but that we should seek you. And so God, as we open your word, as we, as we let it pour into us this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You be seated. You know, it was interesting as I was, as I was preparing this week, um, it was interesting to me how few um, people, it seems, has, have paid attention um, to these, to these uh, five or six verses here at the end of 1 Samuel 12. Uh, most of what I found was, was actually about the first part of the chapter, but not this, this sort of conclusion, which was interesting to me because it seems to me that these verses, 20 through 25, which I want to always say five verses, but that's actually six verses because 20 counts as a verse too. Um, these six verses are just, there's so much packed into them. But, but just like last week where we saw the Old Testament foreshadowing what was going to be happening in, in Christ, we see it happening here again. What we see here is an, is an Old Testament illustration, an Old Testament foreshadowing of what we come to know and understand is an explicit New Testament truth, which is there is no limit to God's mercy. There is no limit to God's mercy. We, we um, as, I, as I said, when, when we pick up there in verse 20, and, and I, I did read verse 19 to sort of give us a, a little context as we come in, but, but what's happened in the, in the rest of the chapter is that Samuel has kind of reminded them, hey, remember all of that stuff I said about the king? I know you're excited that Saul has saved you. I know you're excited that you now have this king like all of the other nations have, which is explicitly what you have asked for, but I'm going to remind you one last time, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And that's what's happened. The people have asked for this thing, and they have gotten it. They have gotten what they asked for. And as we, as we talked earlier, as we talked a couple of weeks ago about Saul, what they're going to see is in Saul, they're going to have a king like all of the other nations have. And then when Saul is eventually removed, spoiler alert, when Saul is eventually removed and David brought in, David a man after God's own heart, David a man much more a king like God would have us to have, David, of course, a, a foreshadowing of Christ, that, that it changes a little bit. But this is, this, is Saul, this is Samuel's final word of, I have told you, I have warned you, and I'm going to tell you one last time. And what's interesting is finally, now that it is too late, now that they have confirmed Saul as king, now that he has stepped out and saved the people, now that they've done all of this that we talked about last week, confirming his kingship, now, finally, the people listen to Samuel. And they, they hear Samuel. 
And, and for the first time, they understand what they have done. What they have done in asking for a king like the other nations have. You've heard me say before that one to me, one of the, the saddest verses in all of Scripture is that last verse of the book of Judges. For in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And one of the reasons that it's the saddest verse in, in all of Scripture to me is if you, if you were to jump up and read the very last phrase of verse 12, here in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, you read Samuel saying this to the people, even though the Lord your God is your king. So when the, when the author of Judges says, in that day there was no king in Israel, he doesn't mean there actually wasn't a king. What he means is the people didn't understand that God was their king. They, they didn't want to subject themselves, to submit themselves to the sovereignty of God. They wanted a, 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 a ruler, a leader, just like everybody else has had it. And Samuel, one last time, right here in chapter 12, calls them out on it, and seemingly, now that it is too late, they hear him. And they say, oh no, what have we done? Oh no, what have we done? Man, we've, we've all these other ways that we have sinned. Uh, ever since God brought us out of Egypt, it has been this up and down journey of us trusting God and then trusting foreign idols and then returning to God and back and forth. It's been this roller coaster back and forth all through the era of the judges. And on top of all of those sins, on top of all of those ways that we have failed God, now what we have done is we have asked God to replace himself in our life with a man, with a king, with a king of flesh and blood, with an, with an earthly king, with, at the time, this man named Saul. And so they, they, they're, they're freaking out a little bit. And so right here at the very end, what you have is you have these, this, this word from Samuel, and, it, and it's twofold. I don't know if you caught that as we were reading through, but the first couple of verses is Samuel telling the people what they need to do, and the last couple of verses that we read, Samuel saying what he's going to do. And so the, the first thing that he tells them, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, do not be afraid. You know, that's one of the most common phrases in all of Scripture. Do not be afraid. Now, I, I think that we need to ask ourselves why it's such a common phrase in Scripture. And I think we need to ask ourselves why we aren't telling ourselves that more often these days. I think these days, one of the problems is, is that we don't fear God enough. I think these days we've sort of forgotten who God is. But the people know, they understand who God is. That's why they're afraid. That's why they need to be reminded to not be afraid. And so, so Samuel tells them, do not, do not be afraid, one. Two, you have done something evil. So three, don't do it again. Now this is, this is sort of interesting, right? Because, because if someone were to come to you and say, you've, you've done something against somebody else who has the, the power and the authority to, to just 
blink you out of existence. It's, it's sort of weird that he's starting with do not be afraid, isn't it? That's, but that's what he starts with. He starts with, with even though I'm going to confirm what you have just said about the evil and the sin that you have done, I'm going to start with do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, though. That's an interesting word there, right? Though you have committed this evil. And really what he's saying is, you have, you should be afraid. You should be concerned. It's natural and right for you to, because you've done this thing, but don't. Now, but why? Because of God's mercy. That's what he's saying. Do not be afraid. You've done evil. Don't do it again. And serve God with everything. You know, he goes on and he, and he says, you know, he says, don't turn away from the Lord, but worship him. But, but, but what's interesting is he, he doesn't just say don't turn away. He says, don't turn away from the Lord. And then he reiterates, don't turn away toward worthless things. That's a tendency that people have, isn't it? To, to, to take the thing of the highest value and to turn from it toward something that does not have the value, to take turn from the thing that is of greatest worth to turn to something that doesn't have any worth. But notice, notice what he says. Do not, 21, do not turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. That's, that's what's going on here, right? It's, it's, it's the fact that... that they're worthless. Why are they worthless? Because they can't do anything for us. The only, the only thing, the only person that can do anything for us is God. These idols, these things that we place instead of God can't do anything for us. Now, let's remember, what are we in the context of? We're in the context of them talking about the kingship. Sam, Saul, has just, Saul has just led the army that's rescued them. But who has truly delivered, the, delivered them? Who's the agent of deliverance? Is it Saul? Or is it God? Who has the worth? Is it Saul, this man who stands a head taller than every other Israelite? Or is it God? So he's reminding them, yes, you have turned, you've tried to supplant God. You've tried to, to, to kick God off the throne. You've asked God to replace himself on the throne of Israel, but I'm going to remind you to not do that, to not turn toward things that can't do anything for you. As we continue there in verse 22 to, to wrap out what, what Samuel is saying to the people, right there in verse 22, the, the Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name, and because he is determined to make you his own people. So, so notice, right? The Lord will not abandon you, but not because of anything you have or have not done. I want us to think about that for a second. I mean, there, there, I, this, this week I had the opportunity to, 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 to preach um, at revival service at Star of Bethlehem Baptist in North, in North Fairmont, and one of the things that we talked about, one of the things that I said is I said, you know, we, 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 one of our problems right now 
I think, in the church and in our culture is that, yeah, we've forgotten who God is, but we've also forgotten who we are. And, and, and that sort of goes, there's sort of two extremes that we run into. The one extreme is we all think we're good and we have no need for God. That's, we see a lot of that. The other extreme that we see sometimes is I am so bad, there's absolutely nothing that God can do or will do to save me. Both of these, brothers and sisters, both of these are wrong. Both of these are lies. Both of these are not true. We need God. We are not so good that we do not need him. Right? That's, that's what we've just read. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean Saul isn't going to save you. We're not also not going to save ourselves. But the other thing here is, yes, you have, you have rebelled, you've turned away from God, you have done all of these things, but God is going to deliver you not because of what you have or have not done, but because of who he is and the promises that he has made. Because he is going to be a man of his word. Not a man, but a God of his word, right? Does anybody remember, does anybody ever remember your daddy telling you basically all you've got in life is your good name? Some of us heard some version of that growing up, didn't we? Well, that's sort of what Samuel's saying here. Remember who we're talking about. He's, He's as good as his name. He's as good as who he is. Because of his great name, and then because he has determined to make you his own people. I mean, we go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham does nothing, and yet God calls him and says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. The people do nothing to get themselves out of Egypt. Right? It's, it's God who saves them and brings them out of Egypt. Every step, it's not because the people have done anything, but because God has done it. This is the, the message that, that Samuel is giving to the people. And I think it's a message that we need to hear, isn't it? That, that, that we need to remember for ourselves and that we need to tell others that, that it doesn't matter what we have done, that, that, that when we have failed, when we have fallen, when we have run away from God, the answer is not to, to continue to walk away from God, but, but to return to Him. That we, that we confess our sins. The people do that here, right? They, they confess their sins. To, to confess their sins, to turn to him for salvation, and to believe his gospel promises. That's, that's what's happening here. So, so here we go. At the beginning of Saul's reign, we're hearing a prophet of God presenting the, the basic outline of the gospel message. Turn to God. Trust him because it's all on him and not on you. That's, brothers and sisters, that is salvation by faith alone.
when, when, when Samuel continues, he gets into the portion. He says, okay, this is, this is a word to Israel. And then he continues the word for himself. And notice what he says. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. What's happened, not only has, has God been supplanted by the establishment of the kingship, but Samuel has been supplanted. Samuel has, has functioned as judge and prophet. And so he will no longer be functioning in those, in those ways. But what he promises the people is that, is that he will continue to pray for them. And, and we see at the end of verse 23 there that, that, his, that his, his work is changing a little bit. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, Fear the Lord and worship Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things He has done for you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to teach you right and wrong so that, so that you can fear the Lord and worship Him. And one of the ways that we do that is by considering those great things that He has done for us. This has been, this has been a, a wonderful and strange week. This has been a week in which we have seen prayer work. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had two desperately, desperately sick babies associated with our congregation. both DJ and um, Reed. Thank you. I wanted to say Caleb, but nope, that's his daddy. And over the last two weeks, I, I hope that your eyes have been open, seeing what prayer in both of these situations has done. This week, one of the doctors came in and was talking to Jill and, and told Jill that every day he prayed, he started his day praying for DJ, but that, but that it was prayer was what was working. Yes, the doctors were doing what the doctors do, but that it was prayer that was sustaining and healing this precious child. The doctor said that. And let me tell you, when you can when you can get a when you can get a doctor, particularly a, particularly a, a, a NICU kind of doctor, you know, you've got to have a certain personality to be a certain kind of doctor, right? You've got to have a, a certain amount of chutzpah. And when you can get them to acknowledge that it was prayer, There's, there's a reason. There's a reason that when the time comes and when we're, when we're confronted, and the, the, the day is going to come I, uh, where every single one of us is going to be confronted in our sin the same way that Samuel has just confronted the Israelites. And he's confronted them before, and he's confronted them before, and they've never heard him. And now they've heard him. And brothers and sisters, the day is going to come when you are confronted in your sin and you finally hear.
And on that day, it's going to be very easy for you to go, there is no hope for me. When God gets a hold of you, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and convicts you of your sin and you truly understand who God is and how holy and perfect he is and how far you fall short, well, what's the point? I can never make the grade. And on that day, it will be so easy, it is so easy, to say, well, I'm never going to make the grade, so why try? I'm just going to walk away. But as Samuel tells the people here, that's not the answer. And it's not the answer because of grace. It's not the answer because of grace. God's limitless grace. He, he, he shows His grace to forgive. Here's, here is a hard truth. None of us deserve a second chance. Now, I know we like to think that we do, right? I don't know how many of you have ever gotten in trouble with with, a, with a, a significant other or maybe with a parent. Oh, give me a second chance. Give me. We always all think that we deserve a, a second chance, don't we? But there, there's nothing, there's nothing that would justify us getting a second chance. And yet, and yet, we're given a second chance. Not only are we given a second chance, we're also told to extend second chances because of the second chance we've gotten we've been told to extend second chances to everybody else that we know remember when peter comes to jesus how many times must i forgive a brother as many as seven and he says what no <laughs> seven times 70 which is a real number but jesus's point there is basically limitlessly forgive others why because of the grace that we have been shown so there's, there's, there's this no-limit grace, grace to forgive. There's also this no-limit grace from God to confront. Have you ever thought about that? That when the Holy Spirit confronts us in our sin, convicts us in our sin, that is a demonstration of God's grace. Because separate and apart from His confrontation, we're blind to it. We'll never see it. We'll never understand it. We'll never know our need for grace. And so when God confronts us in our sin, when God convicts us of our sin, that is grace in demonstration. It's why one of the reasons that, that, that to pray, confront me, break me, show me where I have failed you, is such a dangerous prayer. Because God will do it. But He does it as a demonstration of His grace. And finally, so we see God's no-limit grace in, in His grace to forgive, and we see it in His grace to confront, and finally, we see it in His grace to reconfigure and redeem. To reconfigure and redeem. The people have sinned against God. 
they've asked God to replace himself with somebody else on the throne. Brothers and sisters, do you know what God does with this? He uses the kingship of Israel to place David on the throne so that, that through the centuries we come to Christ. You know, we use that verse a lot, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But if we truly understood how God uses the mess that we make for his glory and the demonstration of his grace, it would flatten us. See, God takes our sin. God takes our sin and he uses it to redeem us. He takes our sin and he twists it around and he reconfigures it and he redeems our brokenness so that we can experience salvation. As we get ready to end our time together today, our hymn of invitation is going to be hymn number 307, Just As I Am. But as we end our time together today,